Let's plant peace today and every day. VegCast. VegCast 106 is underway. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, a full menu is exactly what we have coming at you on this edition of VegCast. I know I say that often, but... Uh, listen for yourself. We've really got a lot to get to this time out. We have not one but two uh, featured interviewees at the same time. That's going to be Ray Sakura and Jim Corcoran, who will discuss their book, Plant Peace Daily, that they're making available uh, to everybody who wants to spread the word about veganism and uh, help people uh, with vegan living and the vegan lifestyle and how they do that themselves in their everyday lives. That's our main interview. We're also going to check in with VegCast sponsor and Tofurky founder, Seth Tibbet. Uh, we also will have some music, as usual, from uh, this time out, a VegCast fave, Veda, and we also will not just refer to another podcast, but hear a clip from a podcast that I found especially intriguing. If you've heard VegCast uh, a lot before, you know that I'm fascinated by Al Mari, the uh, Arab poet from the 11th century, and there is a podcast I want to tip you to on that. So all that's coming up, and I invite you to sit back, relax, and crank up your MP3 player as we deliver to you this 106th. Okay, as I mentioned back on VegCast 105, VegCast is sponsored by Tofurky, creating delicious, innovative, and affordable meat alternatives from non-GMO organic soybeans. And when we have uh, somebody who signs up to be the sponsor, we'd like to do a quick meet the sponsor, check in with them, and it's especially gratifying to be able to talk to this guy who has had such an impact on vegan eating over the past couple decades with Tofurky. So let's meet the sponsor, Seth Tibbet. Okay, right now on VegCast, we are pleased to welcome uh, our new sponsor, Tofurky founder, Seth Tibbet. Seth, welcome to VegCast. Thank you. Um, obviously, tofurkey is not uh, something that we need to explain to a lot of vegetarians and vegans. It's been around for a long time, and uh, you've done a, a great job of uh, kind of providing an alternative for a lot of people that has uh, touched a lot of people. Um, and you've probably got this question before, but i got to ask, what when you decided people needed a, a kind of an alternative turkey product, uh, how did that come about, and, and just how did you bring that to market? Well, good question. Actually, in 1995 was the year that the first tofurkey was marketed in the Pacific Northwest during the Thanksgiving holiday season, uh -huh. and we sold 500 of these uh, products. At, they were about 30 bucks because they were big, kind of frozen item that sold, that served eight people. I had been in business at that point for about 15 years as a regional tempeh manufacturer, more of a cottage industry level, and we were just sort of transitioning to be a little bigger kind of small business uh, at that time, and uh, it really grew out of my own sort of frustration during the Thanksgiving period of 
you know, being sort of a second-class citizen as a vegetarian and trying to come up with different ideas and different things to uh, have, include in the celebration as a vegetarian and uh, had everything from kind of gluten roast that took all day to make and you couldn't cut with a chainsaw to <laughs> some stuffed pumpkins that were pretty good but not really, you know, the same thing as like the festiveness of the turkey right. project that people do. So Tofurky, you know, grew out of a, a need to have a... Uh, delicious, convenient thing that you could just throw in the oven and have it come out uh, repeatedly delicious and uh, kind of bring the, the vegetarians back into what was euphemistically called Turkey Day, which doesn't make much sense if you're a vegetarian. Right. Well, so you got that to market and you decided to call it Tofurky, and uh, one of the things that I've been uh, constantly on people's case about is not using the false generic and calling something that's not tofurkey, uh, tofurkey, and people not only do that, but then they'll go spelling it with an e. So I, I do have to ask, why, why exactly was the e left out? I've heard it was a license plate thing. I've heard it was an 800 number thing. I've heard various theories. Now I want to get to the bottom of that question. That's a great question, you know, and one that doesn't get asked enough because uh, it was actually. You know, we we did look at it in terms of at that point. You know, this was 1995 was really uh, the early stages of email and internet and everything. And the you know the phone was a, was a bigger way people got in touch. There's no Facebook. Imagine sure. that. Right. And uh, so we were looking for an 800 number that would be uh, you know 1-800 Tofurky, and mm-hmm. so we spelled it out like that. The problem was that. If you called that one eight hundred Tofurk E with the E, you got some um, hair parlor in Los Angeles that was being swamped with all these calls that were about a vegetarian tur- turkey product. So, but it also differentiated ourselves, you know, from there was some Tofurk E mentioned. You know, you can find it in literature back to the seventies as a Thanksgiving kind of holiday thing. There was one recipe you see on the internet a lot that was just tofu that sort of mashed and put into a colander with a cheesecloth and you make a hole for the stuffing and flip it over and bake it. That was actually the recipe we used for the first tofurkey in 1995 and until we found out it really didn't freeze that well. It was great refrigerated but to reach the frozen market all across America, we needed to change it, so we developed it from there. So the uh, the word tofurkey with an E, you're saying, does did actually predate the name of your product. So I should maybe back off on people when they're when they're using that word. Yeah, there were, uh, and there was actually even some products in 1980 when I was driving my tempeh products around Portland to the natural food stores in my little uh, Datsun station wagon. Uh, there was a tofurkey sandwich uh, that was just tofu, somewhat flavored to be like uh, turkey. Though I'd eat from time to time, it was really good, but um, yeah, the, the name had been kicking around, and then we uh, branded and trademarked the Tofurky without the E name, and uh, it's been a fun name to, to market, and one that resonates uh, with people, and they kind of understand it right away. Right. Okay, well, did you did you make a decision right from the outset that the product was going to be uh, accessible for both vegetarians and vegans, or did it start out vegetarian and then go vegan, or what? We have always been 
100% vegan. We've never had a product, actually, that wasn't vegan. And so the first tofurkey was vegan. The main difference in the first tofurkey and the ones that you see now are, was really the size because um, we imagined that this was going to be consumed by, you know, a table full of vegetarians sitting around, you know, eight people and having this big feast, which definitely happens. But what we learned after the first couple of years that a far greater need or in the market was for smaller sizes, you know, it was typical for one or two or three vegetarians to show up at a table and be looking for something to eat as opposed to eight. And uh, so we reduced the size, reduced the price, and found a easier way to make them and one way that would freeze by adding the vital wheat gluten to the tofu and that combination um, helped out. So those were the major changes, but it's always been uh, a vegan product. Okay. And has, uh, just in terms of your being kind of the iconic uh figurehead of this whole inter- enterprise uh, since 1995 has has it had any kind of blowback in terms of your life or I mean do you do you tend to eat a lot of tofurkey do you has it had an effect on your vegetarianism or veganism or anything like that oh well, I eat a lot of tofurkey and still eat tempeh as well certainly and you know every holiday um, it's a big deal to you know one of those touchstones in your life that you do every year and you have this this whole process of uh, making the tofurkey and interestingly enough I go to this Thanksgiving that is very omnivorous you know and I'm one of the uh, several you know vegans or vegetarians although people are good sports about it there's a lot of friendly kidding of course that is involved anytime you bring a tofurkey to a uh, omnivorous gathering but um you know, it's it's great. I, I love it every year, and uh, everybody usually tries it and uh, eats it. So a lot of times the tofurkey will disappear before the turkey. So there right. you go. Yeah, that uh, seems to happen with a lot of vegan, vegan foods when you have them at <laughs> group gatherings. Um, so now, you guys, tofurkey is not just the Thanksgiving product. You have the line of, uh, of deli meats. You still, you're... Working that tempeh uh, in there as well. Is there anything else that uh, we should look for coming down the pike from uh, from Tofurky Products? Yeah, actually, you know the the deli slices have become a huge part. They're actually the biggest uh, part of our sales as a class of products. Now they're bigger than the holiday and bigger than um, any other type of product we make. So we've become the largest uh, supplier of refrigerated meatless deli slices in the country. Great, and I love them. <laughs> they're growing great, yeah, they've been, I do too, they're, they're really, uh, Finesco, we just came out with some new pepperoni and bologna, and this roast beef uh, that we came out is just going crazy. Uh, we just introduced at the trade show last, uh, a couple weeks ago, a uh, new tofurkey ground line, which has got a ground beef and a chorizo, that is awesome in tacos. We couldn't Great. keep up with the taco demand at this trade show. People were just going all over these uh, tacos. And we also came out with some new hot dogs. Um, and the difference between these and other 
vegetarian hot dogs and ground that are out there. These are all like everything we make based on organic soybeans, and they're made with non-hexane extracted soy protein, and all the others are made with this other process that includes the hexane processing. And then we're a certified non-GMO company. We're actually enrolled in that project now. There's a non-GMO project that is trying to you know, give credence to all these claims that manufacturers make about non-GMO, and we're working closely with them to get all of our products certified. So those great. are the three main differences. Okay. Well, those all uh, sound great. I haven't seen all of those in my local store, but uh, I will start asking, and I encourage VegCast listeners to uh, look for those as well. And uh, that's about the time that we have for our Meet the Sponsor interview. But, uh, Seth, i got to say thanks for sponsoring VegCast, and thanks for taking time out to talk with us today. Well, thanks for calling, Vance. And the new product should be at Whole Foods stores across the country April 1st. Okay. Brown and the hot dog. So there you go. All right, great. All right, thanks a lot then. Thanks, Vance. Okay, and now without further ado, since we do have such a full menu to get to, we are going to rush straight away to our feature interview with Ray Sakura and Jim Corcoran. Okay, right now on VegCast, we are happy to be joined by Jim Corcoran and Ray Sikora, who are going to talk about uh, some of their adventures and especially about their new book, which is called Plant Peace Daily, Everyday Outreach for People Who Care. Uh, Jim and Ray, welcome to VegCast. Thanks, man. <laughs> now, uh, last time we uh, had you on VegCast, it was just for a brief snippet. That was uh, when you two got married at Summerfest. So uh, before we get into the details of the book, do you care to just uh, fill our listeners in on what's been going on with you since that point? Oh, that's been wild and crazy. Well, not everything. Just give us a brief overview. There's a brief overview. We were living full-time with our solar camper, doing workshops all over the country, and then decided we wanted to live without wheels and found a place just outside of Santa Fe in New Mexico and then worked our butts off fixing up this place in Santa Fe, and now we're here and it's home. Okay. So you're you're out there outside of Santa Fe, and uh, you guys have uh, done all kinds of different uh, outreach in your time, and you finally kind of put a lot of these tips together in uh, a kind of book-length form. And uh, can you let our listeners know, first of all, what the uh, what the basic idea is? I mean, there's a lot of it that comes across, obviously, in the title, but why did you say, you know, now we're going to put these together in a book? We were doing uh, programs at various conferences and doing workshops on uh, vegan animal rights activism. And uh, they were so popular that people wanted handouts. And we started giving handouts, and we were printing up literally uh, dozens and dozens, even hundreds at some times. So we said, well, let's just put it in a booklet form so that people can have these whenever they want it and uh, read it and pass it along to family or friends or whatever. And you have, I mean, it's not, uh, you're obviously not in this as a money-making enterprise. The, The book says, you know, uh, you know, go ahead and copy this and distribute it <laughs> as long as you give us uh, credit for it. So you're really just trying to get uh, some of these messages out there to the widest number of people. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. What 
the reason that we started even doing the Plant Peace Daily Outreach Workshops was that we had so many people coming up to us, both together and individually when we're doing workshops, and saying, you know, they get all fired up, and then they say, oh, now, what can I do? I want to make a difference. You know, either they're angry or they're sad or they just, they want to do something to make a difference. And we thought, wow, there's something that everyone can do, introverts, extroverts, people with no money, people with a lot of money, people with no time, people with a lot of time, everyone can do something with the skills that they have and so that they have. So we decided, let's really help people do this. Let's do a workshop on it. That's what started the workshop, and then that's what led to the book. Because people want to do something once something touches their hearts. They learn about the issues, and it touches their minds and their hearts. They want to do something about it, or they feel disempowered. So we thought, let's do something really empowering. Because Jim had years of his experience in starting groups and in doing outreach and veganizing uh, large communities. And I had my years of experience. And then we came together, and we said, yeah, we're more than the sum of our parts. And his experience was very different than mine in terms of the type of outreach, but combined, we could cover all the bases, and we said, let's do it. Let's help people just get on board, because it really makes people feel good to feel like they're making a difference. Right. Well, let's get into some of those uh, some of those ways that uh, you're talking about. As you go through the book, uh, one of the themes that seems to come across to me is that there's almost no situation in your daily life where you don't have a chance to uh, kind of get a message out or touch somebody's heart or, or you know, kind of make a difference large or small. And you, you uh, really get people thinking, I think, about uh, some of the, you know, times when we just are, are trying to concentrate on our lives when we might also be, uh, be able to be doing outreach. Exactly. We, uh, one of the things that we do is we put together a little uh, quotation slip that you can print up. We have it available on our website, uh, and you can print it up and then cut it up into little uh, slips and use it for whenever you pay a check at a, at a restaurant. You can slip it into the book for the bill. You can leave it in sugar containers, uh, try fold it up and set it, set it into a sugar container. You can put it on bulletin boards. Uh, there's lots of different things that you can do with that, and it's so inexpensive to do it. That one is like, that's one of the most simple ones, you know, and we have that um, a potential little slip that you can just download free on our website and print out and cut it up, and putting it in those sugar containers in restaurants is so great because we have seen people pick up that slip, they're talking about it, and then they're talking to everyone at their table about it. So it really gets a lot of press when you do that. It's like, oh, you just have this one person picking it up, and they can't resist saying, hey, look what I found in here. Mm-hmm. And you could always carry it with you as well, because it's, it's small enough to uh, fit into your wallet or a purse, and so you're never without a little bit of literature. And the literature, is, I mean, the quotations are, can you just give us uh, one or two examples? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, people can choose whatever they want to put. The one that we have on our website has, I think it has the Einstein quote and Alice Walker's yes. quote. Okay. All right. And that's, uh, I mean, that's one thing that y- you can do, like, more proactively, but you can even 
there's a little a brief chapter, Ray, about how you didn't want to be wearing T-shirts that broadcast a message, but you, you finally came around to that, and that's a kind of a passive way that you just by being out there in the world, uh, you can get a message across. Can you talk about that a little? Sure. Well, I hate to admit that it's one of the most powerful things that we do in terms of very simple daily outreach because I want to be anonymous when I go through an airport. I don't want a bunch of people coming up to me and asking me questions, but now I just do it. You know, Jim would say when I'd leave the house, oh, put on your message shirt. You know, I was just, oh, no, I don't want to wear it to this crowded airport. <laughs> but it's been amazing. Like, I was wearing the message shirt. One of our favorite uh, T-shirts is from a group called Nonviolence United, and they have this beautiful vegan message shirt. And it's like a novel. You have to really, the back of it, you have to just stop and let people finish reading. And people stop me. Right. And I was at a crowded airport, and this was like one of the first times when he made me wear the shirt to an airport. And I'm at the airport in Atlanta, and there's so many people in the security area. And a guy is shouting from who knows where, I can't tell, He's shouting, hey, vegan, hey, vegan. And I finally look around over the heads of all these, you know, hundreds of people in the security area, and I see the guy, and he's giving this giant two thumbs up in the air, and he yells, me too, me too. But it made everybody around me start reading the shirt. And then I went through the security line and, you know, put my bags on the conveyor belt. And when I came up the other side, I was picking up my day pack, putting it on my shoulder, and I feel somebody pushing it off my shoulder. And I turn around, and there is this beautiful young security guy. He says, do you mind? I'm not done reading. Can you just step over here so that we're out of everybody's way? <laughs> and I said, oh, no problem. So I step over to the side. He finishes reading it. He hands me my day pack. He turns me around, and he says, you know, I'm vegetarian. Is this my next step? And I said, well why are you vegetarian? He said, because I love animals and I care about nonviolence. I said, oh, this is your logical next step then, is vegan. And he says, okay, I'm going to do it. Thank you. And just beautiful, beautiful interaction that would never have happened without the T-shirt. And it happens time and time again. Yeah, it's over and over. I mean, I had someone in Ithaca, she worked at security and at the conveyor belt. She stopped the line because she wanted to talk to me about where I get my protein, which was a great opportunity, <laughs> you know, to, to talk about the protein myth. Right. Well, now, let me just um, take off from that where, uh, you know, he says, is this the next step? Um, and I think my knee-jerk response at that point would have been, yes, of course it's the next step. Yes, go vegan now. Whereas, you know, you answered the question with a question, and, and that seems to come up uh a lot in in this book is kind of being able to gauge situations and you know not necessarily just take every opportunity to hammer people with information but uh but engage them and, and find out where they're at and can you give us any you know any tips right now on on what kind of uh how you go about that because that's something that i i think i need to get better at ray is is an exceptional person when it comes to this so i'm going to let her answer that um, you know, I think that for me, like, what I have in my mind is instead of, 
I want you to understand everything about me and the choices I make. Instead of that, I think, I want to understand you. I want to understand if you care what makes you do or not do whatever. So that whole thing of like, oh, I want to understand them rather than being understood is part of why I ask those questions. And the other part is I want people to come to this on their own because if somebody comes to something because they've been pushed into it, it's generally not very lasting. You know, so, for example, you know, I mean, here's one example. We were at a table. I mean, this happens all the time to us, actually, but a woman came up and she said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm mostly vegetarian, but, you know, I eat chicken. And I said, oh, of all the animals that you could choose to eat, how did you choose chickens? Well, you know chickens and I said no I don't know why chickens and she said well they're so stupid and you know there's <laughs> myth about chickens that they're dumb and so we get to eat apparently we get to eat whoever isn't intelligent I didn't realize that <laughs> and so I said to her oh tell me your experience of chickens and she just looked shocked that I said this and she said well I don't have any experience with chickens I said, oh, I said, because I have a really different experience with chickens. I've never experienced them as stupid, and I have lots of one-on-one -on -one experience with chickens. Do you want to hear about them? And she said, yes. So I told her about my experience with chickens, and she looked at me <laughs> just sort of dazed, and she said, I guess I don't eat chicken anymore. <laughs> so right. you know, I, <laughs> I think... You know, like there's this tendency challenge people, you know. In a way challenging or just inviting them to really look inside. Look inside and question deeply held myths that we have in our culture, that we have personally. And I think there's a tendency because, you know, we know so much after our years of looking at these issues. We want people in five minutes to understand what for me took me fifty six years to get. Right. So, oh, could you please understand this in five minutes? It took yeah. every experience, every bumper sticker, every person I talked to, every book, everything for me to get here. Right. It doesn't happen in five minutes. Yeah, you can, uh, readers or listeners can uh, get the book on our website, plantpeacedaily.org. It's on our store page. Uh, you can either buy it through Amazon, where there's a link there for the Amazon if you want to get a hard copy, or you can actually uh, download the PDF. It's a about 104 pages of book, and you can download it for free and just start becoming an, uh, an effective activist immediately. Okay. And if you're already an effective act activist, I would imagine uh, this can help you become more effective because uh, it has, uh, it, it just covers a lot of bases and a lot of uh, uh, situations and things that uh, people might not have, have thought about, about uh, times that they could actually. Uh, continue to make a difference and people who want to make a difference I think this is a great tool for them um, so um, we're about out of time but uh, I just I have to ask you guys uh, now that you're you've got this out there uh, you're living you've taken the wheels off of uh, your the the camper so to speak uh, are you are you going to continue going around and doing conferences are you going to work concentrate on books what's the what's what what should we look for from you we are all, we are still going all over to conferences. Ray's going to NAS Summerfest. I am going to uh, Veg Michigan. I started Veg Michigan about 
13 years ago, and we have a huge veg fest that's coming up in April. We expect over 5,000 people at that. Uh, Ray's going to do another talk. Um, I'm doing the uh, yeah. World Peace Yoga Jubilee. I'm also leaving on this Thursday. I'm going to the Middle East. I'm going to be training teachers on compassionate living in the Middle East. Great. Two weeks. Okay. Well, and, yeah. Just, veganizing Santa Fe. Yeah. That's our, one of our biggest jobs. They're veganizing Santa Fe and Albuquerque. And right. anyone can see what we're doing by going to meetup.com and, and plugging in Santa Fe Veg. Okay. And we'll try to get uh, those links in our show notes so people can... Keep up with uh, where you are and what you're doing, and uh, they can find that uh, the book and download it or buy it or both. And uh, it sounds like uh, you guys are going on all cylinders there, and I uh, appreciate your taking time out to talk with me on VegCast. Thank you Thanks. so much, Vance. Yep, we appreciate the opportunity. Hope okay. we see you this summer. Hope to see you. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Like to make the bitter sweet, trying to see the world complete. Sometimes I wonder when the job will be done. We'll fix this globe for everyone. There'll be no more blood, no more tears, an end to strife, an end to fears. No more blood, no more tears, an end to strife. Can't you see, we missed the boat We're in the deep, we must sink or float Some say it'll always be like this But I don't buy it and continue to wish For no more blood, no more tears An end to strife, an end to fears No more blood no more tears, an end to strife, an end to fears. The raging storm will one day end, a long time foe will be our friend. In a bit of time we'll see the light, sort the mess, set everything right. There'll be no more blood, no more tears, an end to strife. An end to fears, no more blood, no more tears, an end to strife, an end to fears. Tears, an end to strife, an end to fears, no more blood, no more tears, an end to strife, an end to fears, no more blood, no more tears, an end to strife, an end to fears, no more blood, no more tears, an end to strife, an end to fears. That is No More Blood from Dada Veda. 
And he's got a new album. You can check out what he's been up to, where he's going to be in our show notes. I invite you to do that at VegCast.com. And now we have a little special feature. We do like to point people to other vegan-oriented podcasts. And uh, this is one that I was especially struck by. Uh, As you know, I've been kind of taken by this poem uh, by the 11th century poet Almari and uh, set it to music and everything else. And this podcast, The Vegan Option, actually did a show uh, completely dedicated to Almari and uh, had some other excerpts from uh, some of his writings on it. So we're going to play a clip from that. Uh, This is an extended scene from The Vegan Option podcast entitled Rebel Poet. The hosts, Ian and Diana, in conversation with legendary Rastafarian vegan rebel poet Benjamin Zephaniah, tell the story of Abu Allah al-Mari. And to set it up, it's the 11th century. Al-Mari is living in a cave and famous throughout the Muslim world for his poetry. Over to Ian MacDonald. Near the end of his life, the chief missionary of Cairo in charge of recruiting converts to the Ismaili Muslim faith anonymously wrote him a letter and said, I want to hear the tidings of sound truth. (laughs) What is your ground for abstaining from meat, milk and all other animal products as though they were unlawful? Your doctrine is disproved by the fact that we see before us various beasts and birds of prey created by God in forms which are only compatible with carnivorous habits involving the tearing of animals and the devouring of them. This fact being well established in creation, mankind may well be excused for eating meat. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's kind of mild towards some of the things I hear. Yeah. I mean, there are some, I lived in Egypt for a couple of years and in, in some other areas where not eating meat is seen as an insult to God. God gave us the animals to eat. You are rejecting his gifts. Wow. That's the way they put it. So, so it's even heavier than that, and I've I've had to confront that. His response sounds very contemporary. Hence, professedly religious persons have at all times been anxious to abstain from meat, because it cannot be obtained without causing pain to animals, which at all times shun pain. Think of the ewe, domesticated and with young. When she has borne the lamb and it has lived a month or thereabout, they kill it and eat it and want her milk. And the ewe spends the night bleating and would run in quest of it if she could. A commonplace among the Arabs is the suffering of the wild beasts and the pining of the wild cow for her calf. One of them says, Nair was sorrow like mine felt by a camel calf's mother. Though when she loses him, she winds oft and oft. Yes, very dramatic, but they really got to get a better studio to record those things. Uh, you know, you can hear the water dripping in the background. It really kind of mars the experience. No, no, 
I, I enjoy all of the uh, Sonic editions. I kid because I'm jealous of their production values. But uh, I should also mention about the, the vegan option. It is nominated for a VegFest UK Media slash Publication Award. And if you're subscribed to VegCast and, and just got this, there is still time for you to vote for them. So get over to the site, bristol.vegfest.co.uk, and do it. You'll find that link in our show notes. And now we're going to turn directly to the science fact. Our science fact for VegCast 106. Rats match humans in decision-making that involves combining different sensory cues. This write-up is from Science Daily, and it goes as follows. The next time you set a trap for that rat roaming around in your basement, here's something to consider. You are going up against an opponent whose ability to assess the situation and make decisions is statistically just as good as yours. A Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory study that compared the ability of humans and rodents to make perceptual decisions based on combining different modes of sensory stimuli, visual and auditory cues, for instance, has found that just like humans, rodents also combine multisensory information and exploit it in a statistically optimal way or the most efficient and unbiased way possible. Statistically optimal combination of multiple sensory stimuli has been well documented in humans, but many have been skeptical about the behavior occurring in other species, explains assistant professor Anne Churchland, Ph.D., a neuroscientist who led the new study. Our work is the first demonstration of its occurrence in rodents. The study appears in the March 14th issue of the Journal of Neuroscience. This discovery is exciting, according to Churchland, because it suggests that the same evolutionarily conserved neural circuits underlie this behavior in both humans and rodents. And uh, it also says Churchland and her team tested multi-sensory integration in humans and rats by designing a task that gauged how the subjects made decisions when presented with visual and auditory stimuli separately and in tandem. We threw in a couple of additional features that made the task challenging enough to simulate a real-life situation, Churchland adds. Her team also designed the task keeping in mind the caveat that our brains process visual information much slower than auditory information. Our task included stimuli that were much more dynamic and temporal time-varying compared to other studies that have tested multisensory integration, which we regard an important advance in the field, explains Churchland. Her team now reports that both humans and rats made more accurate decisions when presented with combined multisensory information, and that this decision-making was close to being statistically optimal, a mathematical prediction of how well each subject could possibly perform in the task. And uh, we've had stories before about animal intellect, uh, animal emotion, and so forth, and so I can refer you back to those for my standard commentary. Uh, but this one, I think, is particularly ironic because they're not just trying to show that rats think, which is something that uh, a lot of meat eaters still 
try to deny that animals think. They just act on instinct, you know. Uh, no, that this is already a given that uh, rats are thinking, but that they are making decisions on a very analogous way to the way that we make decisions. And the irony in it, of course, is that the scientists then say the great thing about this is now we can uh, go and operate on these rats and uh, you know kill them and take apart their brains and try to figure out uh, what all this means to us uh, while perhaps missing the, <laughs> the salient detail that if we are... Uh, claiming some kind of superiority based on our thought process and decision making and it turns out that rats match that uh, maybe we should step back and take a take a look at the whole situation and maybe they will step back and look at it that way I'm not going to hold my breath but I'm also not going to be setting any traps for the proverbial rats roaming around in the basement but if they do happen to take that step back and look at things uh, differently and make what would be a real advance in animal testing and uh, the whole field of looking at animal consciousness, why then I promise you that you will hear it right here on the Science Fact. All right, we are about out of time for this edition of VegCast. I told you that it was a full menu, but before I go, I just wanted to tip you in case we don't get the April VegCast out in time to let you know about this. Uh, if you're in Philadelphia or around Philadelphia, uh, you can come out to see the Philadelphia premiere of VegUcated. It'll be on April 22nd. Uh, at the Rotunda, that uh, venue in uh, University City where uh, you may have come to see the Veggie Cabaret, uh, one or two, or Carnivores Anonymous, same venue. It's a movie that follows the adventures of three meat and cheese loving New Yorkers who uh, try to do a vegan diet for six weeks and what they learn and what we learn. And again, that is April 22nd. We'll have a link in our show notes to that. But now we have got to get out of here. All right, I want to thank our sponsor, Tofurky, creating delicious, innovative, and affordable meat alternatives from non-GMO organic soybeans since 1980. And thanks to Seth Tibbet for joining us for this episode to talk about Tofurky. And thanks to Ray Sikora and Jim Corcoran for joining us to talk about their tips from Plant Peace Daily. Thanks to Dada Veda for the song, and thanks to Ian and Diana for cutting their own clip of the vegan option. We'll be coming back at you in April, and until that point, I hope you will get out there and live like you mean it. Veg-cast.